In the following live session recording, Stuart Lang, state missionary with Community Missions and Disaster Response for the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, talks about Mission Connect. In this session, the listener will learn about a practical approach to developing a missional strategy for the local church, hear about available resources, and explore opportunities for connecting with missional partners. Let's join Stuart now. So I'm Stuart, Stuart Lang, and Ricky and I have been working together in the same department for close to 13 years, one department or another. And um, since 2017, we, we were our own department. Community missions and disaster response. So I wore the shirt for y'all today, and then tomorrow I'll have my DR disaster relief shirt on. Um, so you've heard about changes at the convention, and our roles have changed a little bit. I, up until this year, I have had missions as in partnership missions, helping churches, like Mark and I were talking about earlier. He, he came to me earlier today and said, we're, we're interested in going to Scotland, and so do you have a contact there? And I love getting those calls. I've, I have loved over the last several years getting that kind of called, and then, um, I, no, I don't know anybody in Scotland, but I know who to call to find out who knows somebody in Scotland. And so I have thoroughly loved making those connections with uh, Thomas Hammond coming on as new executive director. Uh, everything's being restructured, and I, I'm fine with that. How, here's his here's his vision: Pastors are our heroes, uh, churches are our priority, and George is our mission field. It's just hard to argue with that. And so uh, things are changing. I no longer have missions, but Birch does. But this event was set up last year. And so this was, uh, we were originally going to do like a panel discussion for uh, helping your churches engage in missions. And so with all the change, we just kept the same breakouts. And so I'm still happy to do this. And uh, it's going to take a little, maybe a little different twist at the front from what you expected, but we are going to get to the description that you have in your book as far as uh, thinking from a church perspective about a missional paradigm for your church. And so we will get there. I do still have disaster relief, so I'll be back in this room tomorrow morning. David and I are actually going to co-present tomorrow morning. Um, a lot of it is lessons that we learned after Hurricane Michael uh, response from last year. So that's who we are. I'm good enough, y'all good? All right, so some of this is going to be, uh, helps if you cut that on. Some of this is uh, a good bit of data and background. Uh, Steve and Ricky and I have been in a book club, and one of the books that we read a couple of years ago now was um, uh, Evangelical Recession by John Dickerson. And when I read that book, it was, uh, it was one of those wow moments for me. It was like, uh, this, guy, this guy understands and he identified and then he gave some ideas on how, how we can move forward with all of the demographic changes facing our church. It, it was a eye-opening book. If you have not read it, came out in 2013, and in today's culture, six years seems ancient, but it is, it is a tremendous book. John Dickerson, and um, so when I read that book and saw some other resources, uh, it, it affected me with disaster relief, what we're doing. It also affected me with missions because uh, I'll try to tie all this together and, and talk about, I, I think we need to think differently 
at the local church level on how we approach missions, at least differently from the way I grew up thinking about missions. Uh, in a very strong Christian conservative, my dad was a Southern Baptist pastor family and church. So my dad was all about mission trips. He was great with that. And I got my exposure by going on mission trips with my dad. My first international mission trip was to Brazil in 1985 when I was still in college. Uh, got to go with dad. So I learned a lot. Come on in. We're just, just introducing. Um, but after pastoring and being on staff in churches and things like that, anywhere is fine. Um, and then coming to this role, it was like so much of what we do is supporting missions rather than being engaged in missions. And also when we are engaged in missions, a lot of times we are engaged over there and we don't think about missions being here where we are. So in a nutshell, that's where we're headed with this today. Uh, let me go back here. So this book identifies these things. We have declining church attendance for the most part. I'm not saying every church is declining, but a lot of churches are declining in attendance and in participation. I'm going to explain why to some of that. I tell you, it, some of y'all are blessing my heart by trying to take notes. If you want, I'll send you my presentation. If you'll, I, I, you're fine to take notes, but uh, I'm fixing to throw a lot of stuff at you. I'm going to go through several slides pretty quick because it's a lot of information. If you want the presentation, <coughs> just let me know. I got to thinking about this book in terms of disaster relief because when you go to supper, look at the volunteers who are out there fixing your supper. Uh, I would be the youngest one out there. I mean, average age of my disaster relief volunteers probably 65, maybe 70. And so, what does all of this have to do with disaster relief? It has the same thing as it does with your church. And if we if we dismiss that. We're foolish. So we've got to think about ways to keep engaging for the sake of the future. This, when I was a pastor, this is what some of my well-meaning, committed church members would say about the next generation and the generation after them and the generation after them. Well, they just need to be more committed. Well, that's a nice catch-all, but I don't think it is accurate. Uh, and it, I, we, we, you cannot dismiss the cultural shifts that are taking place. So do they need to be committed? Maybe so. So do I. And so let's, you know, this isn't about us casting stones today. This is uh, looking at real, uh, reality. I love this verse from Chronicles. The sons of Issachar understood the times in which they lived and they knew what they should do. So um, I think for me, the upfront material on this session is helping each other talk through, understand the times in which we live. So here are the other two resources that uh, supplied information for this particular presentation. Gary Bully, a white paper, and then Amy, Amy Hansen. There are some good things from her uh, book that helped feed this. So here we go. Every day nearly 1,000 builders and or silence die. That means we are rapidly losing the world's greatest generation. Uh, my parents, born 1928, they were part of that builder silent generation. The matures, and if you put these two together, builders and silence, 
together they make up the matures. They will be gone in nine to ten years. However, I did this presentation the first time two years ago. So we're looking at seven or eight years. I'm not suggesting that all of them will be in eternity. I am suggesting that they will be beyond the point of volunteering in your churches. I mean, we're, we're rapidly getting to that point in our churches. Those age 85 and older are expected to increase from 5.7 million in 2010 to 6.6 .6 million in 2020. So we're right on the cusp of that. I mean, we're less than a year away. And the boomers will be providing care for their aging parents. So let's talk generations and ages of birth. I was born in 1965. I am the oldest of the busters. So the boomers were 1946 to 1964. That's generally the birth years for those who are considered boomers. I'm Buster, 65 to 85 or so. Eight, not really 1980. And then the millennials start kicking in 1980. And it depends on who you read. It may be 1995, it may be 2000. I don't think we have any millennials. What year? 1981. 81. 84. 84. So two millennials. Any other Buster? 65 to 80. Buster? Buster? So how many of you are boomers? 46 to 64. Okay. And we don't have anybody. So everybody, most, most are, are boomers. And there are some Amy, the Amy lady that I mentioned right here. She has some wonderful information about baby boomer trends. Now, it's not in the slide presentation, but she talks about uh, boomers, builders, and silence all. If you take all three of those generations and you, you say these are uh, our, our senior adult population, there are three groups. It's, they're not all the same. By any means, they're not all the same. So you may have, you have like younger, older, and then beyond going. And so that beyond going, I mean, they're the ones who are in the nursing homes, they're in the assisted, they're, they're, they're beyond going. And then you have the group right below them that still like to go to Pigeon Forge for the Gaither reunions or Branson. I'm not making fun of them, I'm just describing them. And then you have the group below them, they're really not as interested in going to the shows, but they're willing to drive the bus to get this group there. So a good many of you are in this youngest of the three of the older, <laughs> the older generation. And the way this third approaches church is totally different from the way the middle third and the top third have approached church all their, does that make sense? Okay, and y'all are wondering what in the world does this have to do with missions? 10,000 boomers retire every day. Most of them are not as well prepared for retirement as they hoped they would be. In 1995, average age of retirement was 62. In 2014, it had already gone up two years. By the year, in 2012, when people were asked, when do you expect to retire? The, average an the answer, average age, was 67. So, boomers, uh, you're not on the ropes here for your retirement plans, but who's looking towards retirement? Now, I'm 54, I've already told you, I'm the oldest of the busters. This is my answer. 
I, I hope to retire around 67, 68. Boomers, anybody, anybody thinking sooner than that? Okay, good for you. Already retired. I'm thinking sooner than that. Sooner than that. What age would you like to retire? Well, I can retire now based for my secular work. I've already qualified for retirement. So, interesting point then. How long were you in the secular work before you went into the ministry or did both? I worked 20 and a half years with a, a corporation. And in 04, I was called into vocational ministry. And so, so 15 years. So, yeah. Okay. Changing careers is an interesting phenomenon also. And if it doesn't come up, I'll, uh, I'll say it again. This is impacting us tremendously in our country. This blows me away because I've already passed that and I'm one of, the, one of the younger ones in the room. 1935 wasn't a whole lot better but now 2014 average expectancy is 79 and it'll go on up to 84 and a half by the year 2050. So we are living longer and, all, and this is going to play in to what you do, how you do church, how you do missions. The increase in boomers was due to birth. However, the increase to millennials is due to immigration, not birth. Does that make sense? I see some fuzzy eyes. So what does this, what's the big deal here? Why would I put this on the screen? Culture change. Yes. Culture change. Major culture change. And then when you look at this, there have been three primary immigration waves coming to America. 1840 to 99, European. 1890 to 1919, European. The vast majority, 89, 88%. 1965, that was the year I was born, it was a really good year. To the present, European immigrants only make up 12% of the immigration wave. 50% Latin America, 27% Southeast Asia. So when you start having these other immigration sources, I'm not here to say good, bad, or ugly, and, and there's no talk about ICE or immigration or border patrol or anything like that. I'm saying it is affecting our culture significantly and the world has come to Georgia so attending and believing trends among the different generations percent of Americans who attend and you can see just more of a census type approach Tom Rainer goes a step further and he identifies them as genuinely Christian the percentages go up in every category and I'm thankful for that except for the boomers they stay at 35 percent so this is just strictly on age or year of birth attending church however uh, the whole matrix of what determines regular church attendance is totally different than it was 20 years ago so 20 years ago we were thinking uh, three times a week out of five possibilities there were five 20 years ago there were five opportunities to attend church every week Sunday school morning service 
discipleship training church training training union sunbeams whatever you still called it 20 years ago evening service and Wednesday well now regular serve, regular attending is if I'm not mistaken one time a month not not a week and so we have changed our matrix metric for uh for watching this. So every generation gives less than the previous one. Here is some proof of that. Builders provide 46% of our church budgets, but there's a problem. Because if the builder's going to be gone within the next seven to 10 years, what's that going to do to your church budget? It means by vocational pastors. Uh, and I don't think I've had it with, I might have had this conversation with Steve. I can see a return to circuit riding preachers. Mm -hmm. <coughs> we already have. It. Already have. It. Because that's what uh, basically multiple campuses. Yeah. Okay. Multiple campuses. I'm just thinking from a facility point of view as well. Yeah. Yes. You know, in, in Africa, a church is four poles in a roof. You know, if if giving goes down, you you know like. Right now, it is ragingly hot in our sanctuary on a Sunday morning, and that's with air conditioning. Yeah. So, who's going to want to come and swelter inside, you know? Not to mention multiple purposes, multiple groups using the same bill. Yeah. See, when, we, when our country was early, the schoolhouse and the church house doubled. Same facility, same building. 68% um, of money given to churches is given by people over 55. So, these are not... Keep in mind, I'm right at 55, but I'm no I'm nowhere near the builders. So this statement includes the boomers. Boomers plus builder silence are given 68%. But as soon as I say that, you can see that the boomers are not giving as much as the builders in the silence because they only account for 22%. Folks over 75 give four times as much of their income as those aged 25 to 44. 17% of Christians claim they tithe, but only 3% give 10%. So that means 14% don't understand what the word tithe means. At age 35, this can be confusing. At today's 75-year-old was far more generous at age 35 than today's 35-year-old is percentage wise this one is scary is it not today a 65 year old couple can expect to spend almost a quarter of a million dollars in health related expenses in the remainder of their life what's that going to do to your church giving what's that going to do to your missions giving who in your church is the primary funder for our ladies. Lottie, Annie, the association, Mission Georgia. Who are the ones who rally around those offerings? And what's the average age of your WMU? It's pretty high. So do you see how I mean, this is not just an exercise in Stuart regurgitating a book to you. This is, there are some very real implications for our church. 
So during the next 25 to 30 years, and if, if this is a statistic from John Dickerson, then we now need to say giving over the next 20 to 25 years, we've already dropped five years, could drop 75%. So uh, a small church, medium-sized church budget of $100,000 today could be down to $25,000 in 25 years. But do you think inflation is going to go down? So it's a, it's a double jeopardy kind of thing. Author insight, 76% of boomers want to, this is what I was going to come back to, Mark. 76% of boomers want to retire around the age of 64 so they can launch into another job or career. Now, you weren't a boomer at the time, but that's what you did. 20 years? I worked 20 years. I would, have, I would probably still be working now, except I had enough time to retire, and, uh, and the church I pastored uh, called me to Right. So you made a career change earlier than what they're talking about, but that's happening more and more and more. So my wife teaches school. She teaches fourth grade, close to where we live in Winder. She teaches in Barrow County School System. And this is her first year in that particular school. The lead teacher for fourth grade is uh, several years older than Tanya and me. She, she had a career that she has retired from and then went into teaching. And so this, this is what we're seeing with the boomers. Builders in silence, uh, more, more so the younger of those two, I get to mix it. Builders is the silence are the younger. I think my, my parents were part of the silent generation. So they work, they work, they put it back, they set aside, they saved, they scrimped, they saved, they worked hard, they never missed a day, they didn't take sick days, they didn't believe in staying home sick, they went to work sick, they worked, they did their 30 years, they got their clock so that they could retire. And part of their goal in retiring was to volunteer with disaster relief or go on your church mission trips or, or work in the nursery or, or whatever. That was their goal, that was their or if they, like my dad was in ministry, he retired multiple times so that he could take a smaller church every time. And he wanted to stay in ministry by doing that. Boomers are more, here's a good thought, this is good news for us, boomers are more interested in volunteering than we might have thought. However, their situation is not freeing for them. In 2006, more than half of those age 55 and over were interested in volunteering, but they wanted flexibility on their own terms. So disaster relief is my primary hat. We have a five-day rule of thumb that we put out and then tell people to forget as soon as we say it. The idea is you travel a day to get there, you work three days, and then you travel a day home. So if, if we're gonna go any distance, we're asking you for five days. Well, for silence and for older boomers, okay. No problem. For younger boomers and busters, I can't give you five days. Can I give you a weekend? Can I sleep in my bed and work on Saturday? And that's the way the volunteerism is happening. They also are more interested in centering around special events and service opportunity. This is absolutely key. So if you are making notes, I would put this note down that have a mission. 
if you want to encourage boomers and even busters to volunteer for something, make it meaningful. Make it purposeful. To volunteer and come clean up the grounds for homecoming, that's not purposeful. Now I'm going to throw an idea out here that may be a little pushing the envelope for some of you. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting it for you to think about, not necessarily to do. So a good friend of mine who is a little younger than I am, his name is Jonathan Jordan, used to be at the convention, he's now on staff at First Baptist Douglas. Jonathan, uh, he's, it, I, I'm afraid I'm going to offend somebody, I don't mean to, it's just that I have to use the terminology enough. He's not a tree hugger, but he is eco-friendly. And Jonathan has challenged me, Stuart, why don't churches adopt a portion of a river? Now, I'm just telling you, that ain't on my mind. That's not, that's not the way my brain thinks. But think about, it's not a bad idea. What if your church adopted a portion of the river and once a month you go down on a Saturday and you pick up the trash along that part of the river? What if you promote that to the community? And now you do have those who are, quote, tree huggers, joining your church group to pick up trash along the Chattahoochee because they are all about everything, anything green. And while they're working next to your church people, you provide lunch, you get to have the conversation, you get to invite them to church. They may be willing to come to your church because you are interested in climate and environment. But before they showed, before you showed up in your shorts and river shoes, you were stuffy first church, don't want to have anything to do with you. Does that make sense? That's the kind of purpose or mission that I'm thinking about. So what? We're losing our most supportive base. There are fewer willing and available participants. Those who want to volunteer want to do so on their own terms. There are many other options and we are less loyal to traditions than we ever have been. So my parents would be 91 this year. If they got a letter from the Georgia Baptist Mission Board that said, would you consider giving an extra 1% to the Mission Georgia offering this year? If that's all the letter said, <clears throat> they would add 1% to their gift for state missions that year. Now most of you in the room are saying that's ridiculous. You got to tell me why. But my parents were loyal to a fault. I love them. I miss them dearly. But they were loyal to a fault. And the generation that would hear you stand up in the pulpit and say, mission trip time, we need you to support somebody going on a mission trip. The generation that would pull out the checkbook and write a check, regardless of where you're going, regardless of what you're going to do, 
regardless of who's going, who would blindly write you a check, I'm telling you that generation is fast leaving us. And so it's going to affect the way we raise funds for missions and do missions. Is that depressing enough? Everybody need to take a bath or something, get rid of all that? Now, maybe you're aware of all that. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's all good. So, um, and maybe it was an unnecessary rehearsal. For me, it is a sobering reminder. It's not my daddy's church. And my dad was a DOM. It's not my daddy's association. When my dad was a DOM, he was a pastor to pastors. I still think pastors need a pastor, but that can't be all we do at the association. Things are just different. Cult and culture mandates this. And honestly, it's not all bad. These newer generations who want a little more, who want a lot more explanation up front before they jump, I don't think that's bad. I think, I think that's good. So uh, when Dr. White, several years ago, asked me to take on mission partnerships, I needed some tools I didn't have. Went back worked on another degree, came across a word that was new to me. I hope it's not currently new to anybody in the room, but it was totally new to me. And at the time when I heard this word missional, I even went to christianindex.net or whatever it is, and I did a query of this word. Now this was back in 2012. And at that time, there were only two instances of this word being used in the records of the Christian Index. It's becoming more commonplace now. You, you still need to be careful how you define it, which is, I'm fixing to give you my definition. This is a Latin phrase. I'm going to unpack that for you, too. So what's the difference? Missional is practice. What does it look like? Missio Dei is theology. Why does it matter? This is, this is how I have unpacked this. Okay, and how I, this has helped me to the point that if I were to go back into the pastorate, I would do my best to lead the church to center on this. Now, you need a mission statement for your church, and it needs to be specific to your church. What I am fixing to present to you is I believe God's already given us His mission. We just need to get ourselves in line with Him instead of trying to come up with something new. So that's my heartbeat for all of this. Missional is not the same as mission-minded. It is not only giving to and praying for missions. Now I want to quickly say thank you for praying for missions and giving to missions. But missional is an adjective that implies action. It is not just giving and it's not just praying. That's mission-minded. <coughs> And we have a lot of churches, in my opinion, who are dying in Georgia because they are no longer missional where God planted them. And it's certainly not just mission trips. Now, it's, there's nothing wrong with attractional, but missional is not the same as attractional. I hope you're attractive. I hope when people come to your church, they want, there's something there they want to come back. But I'm saying, let's, add, let's make sure there is substance there, and, and the mission of God is going to supply the substance. So, David Mills, Beach Haven Baptist Church. 
Our church will never sacrifice our support for career missionaries for the sake of short-term volunteer mission teams. I'm all for mission trips. I'm all for the short-term teams. Uh, and you'll see another quote. Actually, it's not in this one. Um, Warren Skinner is one of our campus ministers. He's at Georgia Tech. If you can't go to the University of Georgia, I guess it's okay to go to Georgia Tech. And he said mission trips are his best resource for discipling students. There is nothing like a mission trip to help disciple each other in the faith. But let's don't sacrifice supporting our IMB personnel for the sake of a church to go on mission trips. That's what David is saying. Ed Stetzer takes this word missional. A missional church is a church that acts like a missionary in its community. Now there is a push and I'm not against it. Uh, and David Platt led the charge for this when he was at IMB. It was called Limitless. And there's this push for every church to go internationally, like you're going to go to, to Scotland. And for every church to be in every nation, either personally or with other people through partnerships and that kind of thing. I, I, I'm not opposed to that. I am opposed to going overseas if we're not willing to go across the street. And I, I don't think we've done a... So I've already told you my roots. I grew up Southern Baptist. I grew up in a strong Southern Baptist church. I knew I was supposed to share my faith, but I never caught growing up that I was a missionary where I lived and breathed. So this is a definition I came up with for my D-Men project. A missional believer is one who lives an authentic life of faith. And to me those words are important. In covenant with a local church and seeks to engage his or her community with the gospel of Christ as if he were a missionary living in a different culture. And whether you have thought about it or not, you live in a different culture. Now the people across the street from you may have the same color skin, they may speak the same language, and they may have the same uh, football desires when it comes fall, but they have a totally different worldview. And that, that is a major shift from 50, 60 years ago when my dad was young in the ministry. Key concepts, emphasis on community of faith, not an institution. So one day uh, in my early pastorate, I was talking dad to dad, and I said, Dad, when you were a pastor, young starting out, and you gave the invitation at the end of the service, was the emphasis on joining, giving your life to Jesus, or on joining the church? Answer? Joining the church. The emphasis for dad was joining the church. Giving your life to Jesus was assumed if you were going to join the church. I think that was misplaced. I didn't tell him that. But I think we have for two, I think one reason our church is where it is is because we have emphasized the institution rather than the kingdom. Our favorite word is salvation. Jesus talked about eternal life. So we, we talk, do you want to be saved and know that you're going to go to heaven when you die? Jesus talked about the kingdom of God is near you. 
And he talked about eternal life being something that doesn't start when you die. It starts when, you, when we commit our lives to him. So I like this concept of missional because it is a kingdom focus, which is external, not internal. If you focus on the institution, then the tendency is what can the institution do for me? But if the emphasis is on the kingdom, it's what can I do for the Lord? And I think our churches need this kind of mindset that says, what can I do for him? What does he want us to do in the community where he's put us? Not what style of music will please me the most in my church. So it's a whole, to me, it was a, it was a revolutionary mindset change. So when I came along, the emphasis was on going to church. Yes? You went to church five times a week. And if they claimed church on Thursday or Saturday, you went six times a week. <coughs> and then us white folks started listening to our black brothers and sisters talk about doing church. And they've always done church better than we have. I'm just telling you, they do church. They, they enjoy church when they go. I'm saying we need to go one step further and talk about being the church, not just doing it, and certainly not just going. So this is my message. You invite me to your church, this is probably where I'm going to land. You are the missionary where God planted you. Ed Stetzer again, the church is one, of, this statement can make some people mad. The church is one of the few organizations in the world that does not exist for its members. It is hot in here. It is warm. The church exists because God chose the church as his instrument to make known his manifold wisdom in the world. So every year I, I read through the Bible. I'm in Jeremiah. Of all places, Jeremiah. And you know this morning as I'm reading chapters 44, 45, 46, God's talking to and through Jeremiah and he talks about how he sent Israel so that the world would know he is God. That word sent. One of these days I'm going to remember to pull my strong concordance off the shelf and turn to the page where the word sent and count the number of times God sends somebody. And every time he sends them, it's so the world will know. 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 God didn't send his son so that you and I can feel mushy, good, warm and fuzzy about the songs we sing on Sunday morning. He sent his son so that we could be encouraged and edified and equipped on Sundays to be sent into the world with the message of the gospel of Jesus. This Latin phrase, Missio Dei, it is the mission of God. God has been on a mission of redemption throughout all of history. He invites and he expects us to join him in his mission. It's not your church's mission. It's the Lord's mission, and we join Him in His mission. It's not so much the case that God has a mission for the church as that God has a church for His mission. Christopher Wright, if you're not familiar with his name, he works with John Stott. So some of you preacher guys, you've heard of John Stott, just solid as they come. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, specifically God's mission. So here's... Here's where I would start to try to change things in addition to the air. There's a difference between mission singular and missions plural. You only have one mission for your church. 
your singular mission is to join God in his redemptive mission of the world. And that starts where your church is. And if the, if the community around you has changed, then you've got to change your approach to stay true to the one singular mission of God or partner with somebody who can. Now missions, plural, are the many activities of the church that you fulfill or you conduct to fulfill this singular mission. God's mission, he himself is on mission, and God sends. Uh, so here are the two best New Testament examples I know of, and how many of you were taught those five functions of the church in seminary? Still pretty good. Both, and you can see all five of those functions in both churches when you look at the overall passages there. So here are some examples of God sending. He sent Abram. He sent Isaiah. He sent Solomon. You, Solomon is not who we normally think of, but when Solomon was praying to the Lord, I'm young, I don't know what I'm doing, I need help. And God's reply to him God says to Solomon, you'll build this temple and this temple is going to be here so that when the worlds come to visit the temple, they will know I am God. He sent John the Baptist. Uh, he sent God the Son. He sent God the Holy Spirit. He sent the disciples. And Ed Stetzer will say that when Jesus spoke these words to the disciples, he spoke them to all his disciples forevermore to come. As the Father hath sent me, so send I you. In my opinion, the concept of Missio Dei is a missing ingredient. So grasping this concept can potentially transform a missions program into a viable missional strategy. So let's blow that model up. And the only reason I have five blue blocks is because that's all I know how to do with PowerPoint. You can have more blue blocks than that on your slide. I think it needs to look like that. So that your discipleship, education, Sunday school, groups, whatever you call them, I don't care. They point people back to the mission of God and the mission of God drives your groups. The mission of God determines what music you sing in the church. I don't care what style. It needs to please and honor God and it needs to point people to the cross of Jesus. So the mission of God drives your music and your music should drive people back to the mission of God. The mission of God should drive your youth and children activities. We don't do youth and children's ministries because they need something to do. We do it because the mission of God tells us to and when we get them, we drive them back to the mission of God because they are God's missionaries where God plants them in those schools. Your whole worship service. You plan the mission of God. Oh, smart, brilliant. Thank you. How long have you been staring at that fan wondering when I was going to stop talking so you could well, get I saw it? Well, over there running over there. The hall. Okay. We had one. Yeah. So, does this make sense? This is the slide that would, that would frame my pastorate if I went back into the pastorate somewhere along the way. I would try to make sure this was at the heart of everything. So Tom Rainer wrote a book, Simple Church, a good many years ago. I think this is the concept. 
this this needs it's not there's not a thing easy about it but the concept is simple so let's break down Matthew's version of the Great Commission by the way the Great Commission is in all four Gospels and the book of Acts it's five times this is Matthew's uh, version as you go so that's geographical make disciples there's the mandate the, the, the mandate is make disciples. The mandate is not see how many people you can baptize. The mandate is make disciples of all nations. So it is cultural. So geographical, as you go, is also cultural. Baptizing them, that's evangelism. Teaching them, that is ongoing discipleship. And we're in that mode till the Lord takes us home. Historically, your church partners with your association to reach your Jerusalem. Your church partners with George Baptist Mission Board to reach Judea, Georgia. With North American Mission Board to reach Samaria, North America. And with IMB to reach the ends of the earth. <laughs> but I see a problem with that. In the map in the back of your Bible. And thank God, I mean I'm not I hadn't, I hadn't shown this to Thomas <laughs> I never showed it to Dr. White. Okay. But in the back of your Bible, Jesus was in Jerusalem when he said this, yes, to the disciples. Well, where were most of the disciples from? Galilee. A, under, under King Herod, who was already gone by this time, but under him, Galilee was part of Judea. Anybody want to see where I'm going with this? Mm -hmm. So if he's standing in Jerusalem, but we interpret Jerusalem to mean where you live, then why didn't he say Galilee? Here's the other issue. You have to go around or through Samaria to get to Galilee. So Samaria, to use an old middle school math term, Samaria is a subset within Judea. It's not larger than and beyond Judea. So this works well for us with our missions strategy and our offerings, but I don't think it's totally accurate. Here's what I think Jesus meant. Go to Jerusalem. Those are people who are near you and they are like you. They live, they go to the same grocery store with you, they, they, your, their children go to school with your children. You play ball together on the weekends. You cheer for the same teams. You like each other. Judea, they're like you, but they're not as near. Because Jerusalem is also a subset of Judea. Yes? Here's the sticky. Samaria. They're near you, but they're not like you and they don't like you and you don't like them ends of the earth they're not near you and they're not like you now I am convinced of this regardless of where you live in Georgia Samaria is in your backyard I am also convinced 
that it is very likely, regardless of where you live in Georgia, you live very close to the ends of the earth. And the ends of the earth are coming to Georgia. So we have unreached people groups, as IMB calls them, where there is less than 2% evangelical exposure to the gospel, but they live in Georgia. So while you're reaching your community, why not see what unreached people groups you have close to your community? If the Lord would bless you to reach them here, they can take the gospel back and be more effective than if the green go goes to their country. Because they already know the language, they already know the custom, they already know how to fit in. So what? Now we're to the strategy part. Right on time. This was the missional strategy formula I came up with for my D-men. Those four parts and uh, real quick, this is what it looks like under Discover Opportunities. What are the demographics of your community? Now I have done, I have a weekend missional workshop that I still am blessed to be able to go do even though it's not my primary assignment anymore. And I can pull the demographics for a five mile, seven mile, ten mile ring around your church, whatever you tell me you want. And when I've done this, I've gone into churches and almost without fail, we know who lives around us. Do you really now? Because this study always shows pockets or segments that you didn't know were there. Now it's just numbers on paper, but if we'll, if we'll pray for the Lord's insight, we can see some of what's there. Real needs of the community and local resources. Real needs, not perceived needs. When the last church I pastored when I went there, I had a perception that a big need in the community was ESOL because I thought there, were, uh, there was a large Hispanic population. Turns out we tried it and we had a little success, but it wasn't a real need. It was just a perceived need. Identify resources. Now let, let me go back here. What's, real quick, what's the best way to find out what the real needs are in your community? Schools. Schools. What's the second best? Law enforcement. Y'all got them on your first try. You, if you don't do anything else, please prayerfully consider partnering with the school that's closest to where your church is. Uh, love on your law enforcement firefighters, first responders in your community. They will come. If you'll have a big Sunday for them, and you can do the same thing for teachers. If you'll have a big Sunday, I've done it. I know they will come. If you'll, if you'll plan it and then invite them, give them a small gift, recognize them in the service and let your church family stand up and clap for them. And it's okay if they say, hot dog, thank you, God bless you in the middle of the worship service. But if you'll love on those folks, they won't forget it. The church where I'm a member now, 
we have adopted the elementary school that's across the road from us. And so before the school year, our pastor told that church, you know how the parents all, or the teachers always send the list of what the parents are supposed to send their child with? Kleenex and pencils and hand sanitizer and so I don't know what all, the list is different for every age group. The church said to the school, we're going to supply all the tissues for your school. You can take that off your student list. You don't think the school took note of that? The high school ha holds their backlart service at our church because it's, it's the largest auditorium in town, I guess. Find ways to partner with your school. Um, when I was fairly new into this role of mission coordinator, we had a have annual meetings. Baptists are going to meet, right? So our meeting was in Charleston, South Carolina. So we went to Charleston, South Carolina in January a few years ago and the pastor of First Baptist Charleston. Now did y'all get the cultural significance of what I just said? First Baptist Charleston. Talked to us and he said um, we decided we wanted to reach out to our school. And I love what they did. They didn't go to the principal and say, hey, we want to adopt your school. In South Carolina at the time, and it was the same in Georgia, third grade, fifth grade, eighth grade had to pass a test before they could advance. Well, now it doesn't matter what you make on the test, you still advance. But that's a side note, I won't go down that road. So they went to the principal and said, we want to adopt your third grade. Well, what does that look like? We're going to tutor your third graders who are struggling. What a mission opportunity. And they never had to leave town. So First Baptist Charleston members started tutoring third graders at the local elementary school. And the grades went up. The grades went up. After a couple of years, they got a new principal in, and the new principal came to the pastor and said, we can't let you do that separation of church and state. And the pastor said, okay. The grades went down. The next year, the principal came back and said, do you think you could come back and adopt our third grade again? <laughs> well, somewhere along the way, on a Sunday morning, and this is a stoic, white, First Baptist Church. I mean, their pews have little swinging doors on them. You have to open a door to get into the pew to sit down. <laughs> and one Sunday morning, a young African-American lady walks down the aisle at the end of the service with her two children to join First Baptist Charleston. And the pastor said, I just got to ask you why. And she said, because you tutored my children and I determined that if I'm going to join a church, I'm going to join the church that cares about my children. Your schools will help you meet the needs of the community. So I was an interim pastor at a small church in Carnesville several years ago, and I had just finished all this, and so when they said, we want you to be our interim pastor, I said, well, guess what we're going to do? <laughs> we're going to go through this workshop. And instead of a weekend, we did it Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. We did a session per evening. And on Monday night, we started going down. We looked at demographics. And it, it was, it's heavy. I mean, it's a, it's a workshop. It's, you have to come ready to dig into some numbers and look at this thing. And on Monday night, we identified 
some, um, I'll call it unreached groups within the community. Now this is a, this is a white, rural, country church. And every group they identified was white and rural. But it was widows, was one group. I don't remember what the third group was. The second group is what I'm going to call spiritual orphans. They were youth whose parents didn't go to church. And these youth were battling things like uh, alcohol and drugs in, in local schools. And so, and I, I don't remember what the third group was. Might have been young single moms. And so the, on Monday night, tear paper, the big, the big memo pads that you can stick to the wall. And so they identified those three groups. Great night's work, went home. The next night we came back to identify our resources. And it is amazing here what we take for granted and forget that we have. And so we're, we're pushing through, and I'm pushing them to think, I'm, I'm, I just keep pushing them, how has God gifted you? How has God resourced, equipped you to do missions right where you live? And they, it was like there was just a block. It was a block wall. I said, where are we sitting? We're in a fellowship hall. I said, okay, a fellowship hall. Y'all are some wonderful cooks. You love to cook, don't you? I said, yeah. Do you think the Lord may could use your fellowship hall to reach some of these groups we talked about? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, what else do you have? Do you have any specific skills in your church? And they said, yeah, I mean, we got some ladies who know how to sew. Somebody, yeah, we got some guys who know how to do mechanic work. And, and I just kept pushing and pushing. Push. What do you have behind the fellowship? We got a ball field. And by the end of the Tuesday evening, we had a whole list that a small country church in northeast Georgia identified as resources that God had given them. And then the light bulb went on. When we put this list next to the list from Monday night, God had given them everything they needed to start reaching those three target groups. This is not rocket science. But one reason I promote it is because when I was a pastor of a medium-sized church, I would preach Acts 1-8 on Sunday morning, and by Monday morning I was back in the hospital doing everything that was on the front <coughs> burner, and I never had anybody help me think through what a strategy might look like. Well, strategy is not complicated. Apply the lenses of pray, give, go. Those are the same three lenses we've always had for missions. We pray for it, we give, and we go and then engage your options. And yes, I'm an alliterated fool. So projects, partnerships. Uh, projects are backpacks for Appalachia. Flood buckets for disaster relief. Hand, uh, wheelchair ramps for a handicapped person in your community. Clothes closet, food pantry. Your partnerships. If you are in a lily white church, but your community is becoming increasingly African American or Hispanic or Korean, do you need to partner with somebody to help you reach that segment? That might be what a partnership looks like for you. Now let me stop. Probably should have stopped a long time ago. Questions? <coughs> 
pushed back. I got one. Talking about the statistics earlier, this might be the middle um, boomers, I suppose, and I face it in, in our church. They're they're looking for they're looking forward to retirement so they can get their RV and hit the road. Yeah. They're not interested in living out their retirement serving Jesus. Right. You know they. I mean, is that something that that, that they're tracking or? they know that's going on or what? So one thought that I've heard, and, and to put it in contrast, uh, historically what we've done when that happens is we go to the Monday morning ministers conference and complain about those who bought the RVs and they're gone or the boat and they're at the lake every Sunday or whatever, or travel ball. And then I was challenged a few years ago, instead of complaining about that why not challenge them and then bring them down Sunday morning talk to them ahead of time obviously but bring them down on a Sunday morning and commission them travel ball seasons here and we got a group of players and their moms and dads so we're going to commission them today and, and one of the parts of the commission is they're going to act Christ-like in the stands now I'm just I'm just crass enough I would throw that in even if I didn't have their permission but we're going we're going to commission them to be missionaries through travel ball we're going to commission them to be missionaries wherever they go and, th and when they come back in a month they're going to share us a report now I know you can't make them do that but I do think we can shift how we approach them instead of whining that they're not here Let's send them out with the gospel. Send. There it is. There's that word again. That's one idea. Others. Anybody else handled that in another way? This is, this is related to giving. Okay. And I face this at our church. But the statistics you say, our budgets are going to go in free fall at some point okay so they're 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 poised to go down and so th that means that everything that we do within our our church and our budget is is tight and strict and then on top of that we have southern baptist causes and so we as pastors feel like every time we turn around we're putting a plate under their under their noses Right. Um, yeah, I and I, and thing. our people actually rebel when that happens because when when those mission endeavors come around, our tithing goes down. So it's somewhat of a. So I, I have heard a solution, but before I share it, or it's not a total solution. It's one answer. Let me open it up. Anybody else? Suggestions? problem is we have not made disciples. Um, we're, we're not following the model that's in the scriptures of making disciples and, and now we're trying to catch up. Yep. But we've got to start working at that. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Daniel M. had no silver bullets was very simple. He says it's somebody who's moving toward Jesus. Yep. 
cry definition. Yeah, it is. But a disciple gives. Our problem is we have people who joined and attend and do some sort of support rather than being the church. And we've got to work back yeah. towards. Yeah. Education, which is a part of discipleship. Right. Sure, I believe in transparency to a great degree yeah. as a pastor. And when we do uh, missional giving of any, any type, uh, my wife and I, we absolutely love giving. Um, we're only 19 years old in the faith. Uh, we got we got saved late. I say later in life, midlife. Sure. And uh, we had a, a couple of uh, older couples that discipled us, and uh, we found what joy there is in giving. But when we do um, our offerings, when we do special offerings and all that. One of the first things that I do, and I don't mind doing, uh, is I always proclaim, hey, this is a special in addition to your normal right. gift. But what I do is um, Denise and I challenge you to meet our challenge. Right. Uh, to come along beside us. And so we're all, and I'm always the first to say, hey, I'm the, I'm the first one to put the offering into play. Uh, especially on the special offerings, and here's what our offering is. I'm not ashamed to tell you, but I'm not saying it to say, hey, I'm saying it so you'll know that well, this is an addition to what we give. So we try to give sacrificially right. to show that, hey, we're not starving. We're not, we're not without. Right. Uh, and God honors that. He does. And, and different pastors with different personalities and churches with different personalities have to tweak that message for how it works for you. But to give by example is is a beautiful method, another method of discipleship. And yeah, yeah, he did. So here's an idea that I've heard, and most notably, the church most notably in my mind that does it is Ingleside and Macon, which is a large church. They have changed the way they promote missions giving. They have a blue envelope in the back of the pew all the time, year round. But they decide of all that, and so you can give to missions any time during the year, not just Easter, not just Christmas, not just Mother's Day, not for Children's Home, or not just the middle of May when the Gideons come around or whenever your camp is. So they decide ahead of time, these are the mission, um, the mission organizations or offerings that we're going to support by percentage but you can give anytime you want throughout the year and so if you put a hundred dollars in that blue envelope then I don't know what their percentages are 25% goes to IMB 25% goes to NAM make it up you get the point and so I really like that approach um, a lot of a lot of families struggle at Christmas time, and that's when we're asking them to give to Lottie Moon. So why not give them the option of giving to Lottie Moon anytime during the year through a, a different colored envelope? That's one option. And instead of multiple offerings, you're asking them to give their tithes, and then they can get the missions anytime above and beyond their tithes. But whatever they put in that blue envelope. It's going to go according to this breakdown. That's one idea. But you eliminate the multiple offerings in front of their noses like you're talking about. I feel your pain. 
one of the unique things that one of my pastors does at every offering time, he emphasizes the privilege of giving back to the Lord yeah. and how that emphasizes. And, and that church has grown and they're giving unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it, he'll take just a, a moment just to either give a verse or just an encourage what a privilege it is to give back to the Lord. Uh, and so the positive. It, it is. It's very positive. And going back to transparency, I think your people need to know what they're giving to. So when it comes to missions giving, uh, why not, this may be heresy in your church, instead of playing an offering, why not put a video on the screen of one of our missionaries saying thank you. I'm in Timbuktu because because you're giving to this offering and, and just put that up there. And that way your people get to see a face. And they may not remember what you preach, but they may remember that face and, and pray for that couple when they say the blessing over lunch. So to do some things like that can help. Yes, ma'am. That's what I was going to say. This, the younger generation, especially like you said, they want to do things with a purpose. So to just say generally this is to international missions means nothing. 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 They feel no compunction, but if you give them yes. a picture of what that is, whether it's a speaker or whether it's you know, a video like you said, and they see exactly, oh, when I give, I'm helping that family right there right. do that thing they're talking about. Yeah. They need to connect it to something that's valuable to them. Gideons have been doing this for decades. Yeah. I am a huge proponent of the Gideons because there's no overhead cost. You, get, you give a dollar, 100 pennies worth goes to buying a Bible that they're going to put in somebody's hand. And in recent years, they have opened up the window a little bit so that if, and I do, I, Gideon's is one of the only organizations that I will give to. But because I give to them, I am a friend of the Gideon's, I, I get a little New Testament once a year that I can give out, even though I'm an ordained minister. So, but that's tangible. Yeah, they need... They need the tangible. Um, we planted a church actually through in the Midwest, the Baptist Missionary Association is yeah. big and we planted a church and, and they do it a little differently, which I appreciate. Individual churches support individual churches. So your pastor goes, says, I'm planting a church in this place. This is what my community is like. And that church votes as a unit to say, yeah. yes, we're going to support that. So they know right. who you're paying for. So Steve and his association, they adopted Corning, New York. And he has led several teams to Corning, New York. Uh, but how cool would it be if Corning, New York pastor came to Hebron Association and it becomes reciprocal? Now that's, that is an ultimate. Uh, that, that's just great. So, I mean, there's all kinds of ideas. What's going on? That's what we do at our church. The, the church is, and we, we help with the church, church plant in New Orleans. Okay. The manual community, and we have a uh, church plant in New York that we have. And uh, they, the pastor will come down occasionally and thank the church for our giving and the help that we've been down there and support them. Yes. And in a very similar vein of thought, think so right here under personnel, missionaries, but church planters. So we've, we've got several church planters in Georgia. How how hard is it to adopt a church planter? Well, once you find the church planter, it's not hard at all. What do church planters need? 
We need support, and sometimes we need bodies. Bodies, support. <laughs> Bibles. Bibles. Um, Think practical for a second. Vacation Bible school material. Vacation Bible school material. Nice. Vacation Bible school workers. Forget spiritual. Take for I'm, this is going to sound awful, but for a second, take spiritual off the table. What do church planners need? What else? A lot of church planners I know are younger. I have I've noticed that young pastors marry young ladies, and when young pastors and young ladies get married, they have Children. young babies, and young babies need diapers, formula, gift cards to Walmart, Target, grocery stores. You want to know how easy it is to adopt a church planner? Once once you find the church planner, and if you can't, let, let me know, call your association missionary, we'll do our best to get you connected with a, with a church planner. But once you find that church planner, let's say you are a more traditional church and you still do Mission Friends or Team Kid or Awana on Wednesday night. Get those kids to write some notes. And you send the notes to the church planners. And while the children are writing the notes, get your WMU group to donate for gift cards. And you put some gift cards with the children's notes and you put it in a pack and you send it to the church planner. Amen. Now, you do that once a quarter. Do that for a year. Now ask the church planner, hey, would you come let us know? Even if, even if you're in one of those churches where your church expects you to fill the pulpit on Sunday morning, get them to come on a Sunday night. Would you just tell us what God's doing through your church plant in downtown Atlanta or where, or Augusta or wherever it is? Now those children get to meet the one they wrote the notes to, and the WMU gets to see the ones they gave the gift cards to. Adopting personnel, it, none, of, none of this is rocket science. We've just got to take a little bit of time to think when there's not something else pushing it to the back burner. One of my churches uh, in uh, Washington Association decided that they would give $100 to anybody that uh, would take it and do something with it, ministry related, and come back and tell the story. They had to do, you, know, you couldn't right. keep it. Right. Ministry, do it, tell the story. And people came back and went, wow, that was a big bang for a lot of money. And some people got involved in things that they needed to get involved in when they were once pew sitters, pew warmers. They, and all of a sudden, the connection was made and they began to, they began to be more uh, outgoing in their spiritual walk. And the connection of money and, and my money in my pocket and active in this ministry that my church now supports through me right. became a big deal. Yeah. So my first church out of seminary, when I was in seminary, I sort of enjoyed the apologetic classes. So my first church out of seminary, I was on staff music education. I thought, I'm going to take folks who want to come through an apologetics course so that they know how to witness to Mormons or Muslims or Jehovah's Witness or Buddhist or Sikh or whoever it is, New Age. And I'm going to, I'm going to fill them up so that they're ready. 
in hopes that somebody will come across their path. And when they do, they will remember all of the unique points from each faith, pull it out of their memory bank, and be able to share it, which is totally ridiculous. Now, what if in your community you adopt part of the Chattahoochee River? And when you do, you start to realize, hey, we have this particular group that's always showing up. Now you get to study that group. And instead of having a plethora of forgotten information, you target your instruction for that one group that's going to show up next Saturday when you show up. And you gear yourself for that group. Rather than a shotgun, it's rifle. Rifle it in. Thoughts? Questions? Awesome. Thank you. If you want it, I need your email somehow or another. And I just remember when I'm supposed to count. So 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. 15. So uh, maybe this is the easiest way. My email address. Oops, don't trip. My email address is the coolest at the building. Yes, it is. Slang <laughs> at gabaptist.org. If you will email me and say, I want your PowerPoint, I'll send it. And I forgot how many I counted. 5, 8, 10, 12, 15. If you're interested in the missional workshop that I do, let me know that too. Okay? Let me pray. Lord, thank you for our time together. Um, help us to not forget the little things in life that make a big difference. Thank you for a fan. It just sort of help cool things down a little bit because there are so many people in parts of this world that don't even have that blessing. Help us to not take you nor the daily occurrences of life for granted. I pray you always help us to remember we used to be lost. And if it weren't for the grace of God, where would we be? Lord, help us to be intentional. Help us to think kingdom, your kingdom. Help us to think missional, not just giving to missions, Help us to think we are missionaries. And you have sent us to the community where we live. You've sent us to the workplace where we labor. You have sent us to the ballpark where our children and grandchildren will play ball. Help us to, help us to think them. Help us to stop thinking about us and think about them because there will always be a them that we need to go to and I pray you give us eyes to see and hearts that are broken to share the message that has never changed in Jesus name I pray Amen appreciate you coming Thank you.